welcome to the Geek and Review Podcast. I'm Jeremy Pappas, alongside, as always, a man who needs no introduction, but I'm contractually obligated to give him one anyway, Mr. Russell Jones. Russell? And man, the writers on that contract. <laughs> they were long. It took a thousand hours by a thousand lawyers, but we got it working out. How you doing, man? Eh, so far so good. It's been a busy week. Very, very busy. And fortunately busy. And... I'm very glad to have a weekend that I don't have anything that I really have to do. So I completely I'm wide open. Man, it's it has been a week. Um, the big news is uh, the release of one of the most highly anticipated movies of the year. Uh, uh, the name of which I just completely forgot. The Dark. The Dark Knight Rises, Rises. right? Um, it, unfortunately, the opening of the movie was marred by uh, a really senseless tragedy that happened in Colorado. It's an awful thing that happened. At the same time, you know, that's not really the place for us to talk about. That's something for much more serious individuals. I know Russell went to see the movie. I went to see – I have not gone to see the movie. Um, and I kind of have a weird take on the whole on the whole Dark Knight Rises thing. But, Russ, I'd like to get your overall thoughts about the whole thing. Just overall, um, there is no doubt that Christopher Nolan can make a fantastic film. Because he is, as we have seen in many different places and forms, a very masterful storyteller. And, you know, the movie is his medium. And he does incredible things with it. And he does a great job telling the story in The Dark Knight Rises. Um, This is going to be, you know, a fitting capstone to the entire trilogy. And... You know, all the talk of well, this is going to be his last, you know, major superhero film. This is going to be his last Batman film. He's he's done doing those kind of things after this. You know, he puts a pretty final cap on top of it. And I'm not going to be spoilery about it at all. Um, this is one of those things where, you know, you feel like with with people that are in the movie, certain things have to happen. You've got Cat, Catwoman, Anne Hathaway. You know, she's going to have to be a little good, a little bad. A little more bad than good. You've got Bane with the breaking of the bat. You've got some other things that are going on that you feel like kind of have to happen because these are the set pieces that are involved. And those things happen. They are done very well. The story, I think, is told about as perfectly as it could be told. There are some really great moments, you know, outside of even the whole Batman thing. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt does a really great job as this cop who is kind of getting sucked into that whole Batman universe. And and his story is told pretty well, his interaction with Commissioner Gordon. Gordon has some really great parts in it as well. Um, Just overall, I had a really great time. There have been some critics, uh, I think Roger Ebert specifically, who had said it was a bit long, and it felt long in places, felt too serious. And, you know, from a, from a critic's perspective, you're entitled to that. I didn't notice that it was too long. I felt like for a Batman film, especially for a Nolan Batman film, it was just the right amount of dark and gritty. It was just the amount of right of, you know, ridiculous explosions and things happening, and... I highly recommend going to see it. I did see it in IMAX, and personally, I'm not that big a fan of IMAX. Um, it's a big screen, but really, it all depends on kind of how close and how far away you are from the screen. And I was really shunted off to the right side of the theater because they had been showing the trilogy throughout the day. So as a marathon showing, when it got time for The Dark Knight Rises, it I it was yeah. pretty full. All the people, you know, we had initially thought all the people who saw uh, The Dark Knight before it were going to exit the theater. Yeah, and then everyone's going to come back yeah, in. And then everyone's going to come back in. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, you know happen. that the guy sitting dead center who just watched the other two Batman movies, you know he had like a Mountain Dew bottle he was pissing in. He wasn't yeah. leaving that seat for for love or money. He was yeah. there for the long haul. He's probably still in that damn seat. <laughs> Yeah, so we I got I basically was sitting um you know how you have the aisle that cuts, you know, the very very yeah. front three yeah, 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 rows. Yeah. I was sitting like two rows up on the extreme right-hand side of the theater. So I was watching it kind of from a side angle the whole time. So that may have ruined the IMAX experience, but you know, frankly, Probably so. It's like buying a big screen TV. If you're going to be sitting 10 feet across the room from it, 
you need a big screen so that it looks, you know, like you've got a big, big stuff. But unless you're sitting kind of two feet away from it, it's not like you're, you right. know, well, getting this massive overblown I, I don't want to get out of what we're talking about here, but there is a – when you buy a TV – a lot of people are like, well, I'm just buy the biggest TV I can. I'm going to throw it in my living room. The problem is if the TV is too big, it can actually hamper your your movie enjoyment. People think I'm going to get a bigger TV. I'm going to get – you know, I'm going to really get into the movie. That's not the case. Your eyes right. are designed a certain way to see and focus on things, and without you know special headwear – you know, virtual reality, you can't, you're not going to wrap yourself in there. All you're doing is making your eyes move back and forth as you watch the whole thing, which is the problem with IMAX. The, the real problem with, the problem with IMAX and movie theaters in general, as far as perceptive movie viewing is concerned, is they have a huge screen and they have to put, they'll put seats in anywhere they can get them. So yeah. there are times when I know, um, I think you, when we went to see uh, Lord of the Rings Return of the King, Right? Didn't we sit right in the front? Were, were you with us when we sit, like, right in the front row? I believe that was – yeah, I was at the front row. Yeah, we were, the, we were right in the left. front row, and I – I mean, I didn't enjoy – honestly, I didn't enjoy the movie at all. It was very uncomfortable, and then, honestly, there shouldn't be seats even there. So I would argue with, with what you're saying. The IMAX theater shouldn't have even had seats that far out. But again, every seat they put in there is money, a lot of money in their pockets, so it's understandable. Anyway, yeah, really. back to Batman. Uh, you said that Christopher Nolan was not going to be involved in any more superhero movies. Not entirely the truth. He uh, he wrote Man of Steel and is producing Man of Steel, which is the uh, Superman reboot. So Christopher Nolan is is going from from black to to red, yellow, and blue. So we will see Christopher Nolan at least his flavor in uh, in Man of Steel. Yeah, but from a directing yeah, perspective, he's definitely not I think directing he's done. Any, but, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Course, and, and he's only at, the, directed, at this point. Like, eight or ten films to begin with, and three of them are <laughs> Batman movies. Yeah. Them's Inception. Um, yeah. So... He and Joss Whedon are at that point now where pretty much, you know, as far as... Definitely as far as block, blockbusters go, as far as I'm saying anything else, they've got the stuff in the can that they can pretty much write their own. Yeah, they can do what they want. Um, I'm, and, and, and that's a good thing. You know, they make good movies. Here's my issue, uh, and it's, it's entirely my issue, with, uh, with Dark Knight Rises... Uh, I didn't really think Batman Begins was a fantastic movie. It was it was good. I didn't it didn't blow me away. I, I definitely didn't like it as much as I liked any of the uh, of the Marvel um, just or not Justice League. Wow, uh, any of the Marvel <laughs> uh, Avengers the franchise yeah. movies didn't. I mean, I, I would put it below those. Um, the Dark Knight was better, I thought, than Batman Begins, but I still didn't really love it. Um, it was it was good. I have since seen it a couple more times, and I, to be perfectly honest, the more times I see it, the less I like it. Um, and for that reason, I'm just really not super super pumped to see Dark Knight Rises. That's why I know when we first got on uh, got on before we started the podcast, the uh, the first thing you said is, "Are you going to go see Dark Knight Rises?" And I was like, "No," and he said, "Are you going to go see it like in the next couple days?" And I had to say, well, not really, no. <laughs> I'm not really. I might in the next week or so, uh, maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks. But And I know I'm not the only one. I've talked to several people who they don't really like Bane as the villain. That doesn't really speak to them. It's not something that they really, uh, really uh, are super, super interested in. See, and in, in our household, it's, it's almost the exact opposite because Batman is – is head and shoulders above the rest are one of our favorite superheroes just because, you know, Macy was talking about this as we were leaving the theater. Um, Bat, uh, Batman returns the second, uh, the second film with Keaton and with Michelle Pfeiffer and all them. It was like her first real geek out, go absolutely nuts over, you know, a movie experience that she had had and her when because she, she was you know younger and her she would not shut up about oh the Catwoman's not actually dead she could be coming back and she was so excited and if the internet had existed she would have spent the next like weeks poring over any sign of a new movie coming out with with Catwoman in it on message boards and everything so for her this is kind of a, a much more grown up return to that and mm -hmm. she really enjoyed it um, I think it is. 
I think it is a pretty good example of also some of the differences just between DC and Marvel. In my opinion, having seen The Dark Knight Rises, having seen Avengers, I still hold The Avengers as the best overall superhero movie that's ever been period. made. Yeah, period. Ever, period. For a number of different reasons because of partly the subject matter, partly mostly because it was so – it should not have done as well as it did. It had so many big people and moving mm-hmm. parts mm-hmm. and crazy, wacky stuff going on that there's no reason this thing should have been the absolute you know, joy-puking fun ride that it was the entire time. Mm-hmm. It was big and garish and loud and funny, and it laughed at itself as much as it did at other things. And that was a big that was a big thing for me because, you know, movies are escapism, especially superhero movies. Mm-hmm. And Marvel has always seemed that way to me. They they've had a lot more of that kind of ridiculous uh kind of laughing winking type of uh humor in it. Mm-hmm. DC is always, especially because Batman is kind of more and more the face of DC because, I mean, Detective Comics, hello. Right. Um, It's a lot more grittier and darker and, you know, it's known for that kind of stuff. So this, I think, is the absolute uh, pinnacle of what you can see out of a DC movie. The Avengers is the absolute pinnacle of what I think you can see out of a Marvel movie. See, I would completely agree. I would completely agree with that. Even the Batman Begins franchise is the penultimate DC movies. They're always going to be... They're... They're a lot more realistic. They're a lot more, you know, it's a lot more of a, of a realism, pure adult handling of the stories. Whereas Marvel always kind of keeps that, that sort of childlike wonderment and, and the the things that are cool, but not necessarily, uh, really mature. I, I, Maybe mature is not the best word to use, but they kind of, they're, they have a lot more fun with it. So if yeah. you, I mean, you wouldn't describe the Batman movies as fun necessarily. Not not that they're not fun, but the first thing you would say about a Batman about one of the Batman Begins movies is not, oh, it's super fun, because it's, it's not. It, yeah, it's not the Hulk thrashing Loki around like a ragdoll. Right. It has you know other, and it's it's darker, of course. I kind of hate when people talk about how dark it is, um, because that just seems we know how dark it is. It's 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 Batman. I mean, the Batman being dark is really nothing new. I mean, for uh, just look at Batman Forever. I mean, that's while it had its its kind of kiddish moments to it, it was still pretty pretty foul in places. Uh, I mean, yeah, Danny DeVito was in the movie, and that's really all I have to say. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and I, I think that's really the big difference. Now, do you find yourself – see, because I'm I'm on the complete opposite of the spectrum for you is, honestly, I liked all of the Marvel movies better than I've liked really any of the DC movies – than any of the uh, – of the, the DC movies, especially the Batman movies. Mm-hmm. Um and I and I just I just do. I mean, there are certain things that I I don't know. Maybe for me, I know one of my big problems with uh, the Dark Knight was things that happen don't make sense. Uh, some of the things that happen don't make like a realistic sense. Or there are other ways of going about doing things that would have been much easier and 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 simpler that kind of take the wind out of it. And maybe because Marvel sticks with uh, so much more fantasy that it's easier to overlook that for me or I don't know maybe I'm just you know the Armand White of of <laughs> geek podcast and I hate everything that's popular which isn't true because I mean like I said I've said it before and I'll say it again and I'm I'm a little surprised this hasn't picked up steam not only because I'm brilliant everyone should repeat what I say but because I think it's incredibly true that Avengers is like our generation Star Wars, or, well, not really our generation, because I'm almost 30, but uh, the generation right below us, it's their Star Wars, the movie that they're going to remember going and seeing it, uh, you know, several times, and they're going to have all of that sort of experience that you very, very rarely ever have. I mean, I would say that I didn't have it in my lifetime. I didn't have that 
experience about it, you know going and seeing the big blockbuster movie that you know they're that people fanboy and fangirl out about and have cons later and stuff like that like i didn't have that i'm too old for or i'm too young for star wars and i'm too old for avengers so unless i'm completely forgetting something really obvious in which case <laughs> you're about to tell me that right now yeah no i i don't think that i am which is i kind of think i'm missed out now but I, I really think that that's going to be the legacy, and the Dark Knight movies are going to be considered. Now this may just be for me, but I think the Dark Knight movies are going to be considered really excellent movies, but not necessarily cultural touchstones. And I'll admit that might just be because there have been so many damn Batman movies made already, and it's hard yeah. to. I mean, no matter how crappy some of those Batman movies were, Batman and Robin, looking straight at you, um. It's kind of kind of be hard to stand out in a sea so large. Like and here's the thing. Movies. And here's the thing. Get ready for more of them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. After Warner's no, is already. Oh. Yeah, Warner's is already planning to reboot this sucker because you know why. Because they they want their Justice League. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And they've. And it doesn't hurt that. It doesn't hurt that they just re, that uh, Marvel just rebooted Spider Man, and they rebooted it. I mean. Let, let me well, put it this. Let so. me put it this way. I saw the I saw the opening day of the original Spider Man, the Tobey Maguire Spider Man, in the same theater that I saw the uh, other Spider Man, the the Amazing Spider Man. And I've you know, and I haven't. I'm, I don't plan on living here my entire life, so it hasn't really been that long uh, since they since they did that one. So I could definitely see them in maybe even next year doing another, you know, kind of doing their their version of the the Marvel run-up to uh, the Avengers with the DC run-up to Justice League. Yeah, I just worry that that's going to be... That's not going to be that well done as, as the Avengers were because how do you take... You know, let's say you are doing that, and to a point they've already started doing that. Let's say you have to take, you know... The, the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern and the Zack Snyder Batman and – or not Batman, Superman and then well, they're not whoever they to choose. Well, they're not going to take the Zack Snyder uh, Superman because they're doing another – they're doing a Superman called Man of right. Steel. All right. Even then, the new Superman, Man of Steel. Let's say you take those guys and whoever they pick to be the next Batman and start throwing them in a movie. Well, here's the pro- – I mean this is still a long, long ways off, but I think it's definitely something that we can – that we can talk about, but I think if they're if they're really serious about doing a Justice League movie, I'm almost positive they are, uh, if only because of how ridiculously well the Avengers did. But they're really serious about doing a Justice League movie. They have to start over right now. And yeah. and I believe I, if I had to guess, I would guess that's exactly what they're going to do. We'll see another Green Lantern movie that will probably not suck as much. We will see. Uh, We'll see the you know the the next Batman movie, which will not be as dark, nearly by by a thousand times, will not be as dark as the Nolan Batman films, which to me is going to mean they're not going to do as well because it's really difficult to take something dark and make it and make make it light, whatever the opposite of lighthearted, I guess. It's it's much harder to take something that's dark and make it lighthearted than it is to take something that's lighthearted and make it dark. Because when you go, when you do, you know, Alice in Wonderland, when you say, take Alice in Wonderland and you go with American McGee's Alice, everyone talks about how edgy and cool you are. But if you, if we were to take, oh, I don't know. If we were to take, uh, well, sh- and I can't even come up with a good example. If we were to take Nightmare the, Before Christmas. Well, I was kind of specifically trying to avoid those sort of things because that is kind yeah. of lighthearted. It's just, you know, if we were to do a, say, what's a really, if we were to do like Halloween mm-hmm. and make it lighthearted and fun and, and like a comedy, then people would go, what the fuck are you doing? Why, why did you, you know, why did, or it's, it'd be like making Schindler's List on ice. It's not going to work because people are going to sit there and look at you and go, what? No, this is not the way that it is. There are going to be outliers because, from what I understand, uh, Cabin in the Woods was a surprisingly comic um, look at horror films. Right, overall. but it was intentionally comic. I mean, like, I couldn't see that. For instance, I couldn't see them doing Batman now and doing something that's a little closer to the overall theme of. I'm not going to say Batman and Robin because that will get me crucified. The overall theme of the the campy '60s Adam West Caesar Romero Batman, 
or even like a couple steps down from that, even going back and doing like a Michael Keaton style Batman with the Joker and, you know, he's, he's very debonair and he's got the big long gun and it's just, it's, I don't see how you can go back and do that. I think that people would be very, very not receptive to, to something like that. And if anything, because the Avengers exists, people are going to see it for exactly what it is. They're only making these films so that they can get into the Justice League film. Why don't you just go ahead and make, make a Justice League already? Yeah, and, and, and you and know what? Know the reasons I think why they can't do that. Or we've talked because, about the reasons. Because it takes too long to do a backstory for all the characters. Part yeah. of the part of the great thing about the Avengers is you didn't need a backstory about the characters. Tony Stark jumps in. He's had two movies. We know everything there is to know about Tony Stark. You don't even have to tell us it's Tony Stark. We know who that guy is. You know, the only one you needed any sort of backstory on was, um, was the Hulk. Because we swapped actors with Mark Ruffalo. And... And all you really needed to know was, you know, he's the Hulk. He's been in India curing people, and now he's got to be taken aboard the satellite of love. You know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I would see them starting to do their ramp up to Justice League. You know, we'll get a Flash movie. We'll get a Wonder Woman movie. We'll get another Batman movie. We're getting the Superman movie. Um, I don't know if we're going to Martian Manhunter movie. Probably not. Um, and uh, we may get another Green Lantern movie. Um, and I would be surprised if we got an Aquaman movie. Though if we got an Aquaman movie, it would be really funny to have the guy from Entourage play Aquaman. <laughs> Which would that I think it would just world that would be collide. clever, right? It, I think that would be that would be interesting. That at least that at least put me in the uh, in the thing. You know, I'm I'm not gonna say we could see a Green Arrow movie because I'm a Green Arrow fanboy, but you know, Arrow's coming out if it becomes Smallville esque. We could see a Green Arrow movie. Um, I wouldn't actually not hate to see a Flash movie. I wouldn't hate to see a Flash movie. Either. I think Flash, you can, you can do some cool stuff with him, because he's a very, he's kind of a superhero that everybody knows, but nobody really gets. Like I don't know many people who know the Flash's backstory. They just know he's a guy that runs really, 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 really fast. Yeah. Like he doesn't. No one knows his origin tale like they do Superman. You know, uh, blasting off from Krypton seconds before it explodes, or Batman, or, you know, even Wonder Woman to a, a certain extent. Everyone knows Wonder Woman is kind of like an alien Amazonian princess, probably a lesbian. Um, it, she is a lesbian in the, in the, the new Wonder Woman, isn't she? <laughs> Honestly, I haven't read enough of the Wonder Woman that to, fl- to say flat out whether that's true I or not. could have swore they made her a lesbian in the... the not that it... I mean, not that it matters. She's still... She's still Wonder Woman. She'll still kick your ass, regardless if she likes, you know, hot dogs or tacos, as as Dana Carvey might say. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, that's something I can definitely see uh, potentially happening. Um, I don't know if it, I don't know how how successful it would be. Wasn't the last real Flash anything you know of that medium? The TV series they did way back when? Uh, or did they re- even try to reboot that at some point? Because I remember watching the Flash TV series when it was on, like, network television way back then. Man, I do that I do not remember. Uh, I, I do not recall that. But that's just it. It's been so long, I think that's the only thing that I can even rack my brain and recall them doing live action. Um, yeah, there was a 1990s Flash live action TV series. Yeah. Um, Which wasn't that bad but you know it was kind of that mid 90s um it was very dramatic and heavy which the flash mm, is not really that kind of a, a superhero he's not, especially he's not, like current flash he's not normally now yeah um barry allen plays uh, the flash and he's apparently done the voice of flash and everything else you know that's the good thing about being able to be a superhero like one time because afterward you can be that superhero forever i mean look at you know rob conroy doing the voice of batman I mean, he's done the voice of Batman for like 17, 18 years. Mark Hamill yeah. doing the voice of the Joker, even though he's he swore he wasn't going to do it anymore um, after uh, Arkham City. Yeah, and then he did it for uh, at least the DLC of Last Laugh for DC Online. Well, you know why he doesn't want to do it? Not not to get really – because it's horrible on his voice. Oh, I imagine he's got to – it's uh, If you watch video – if you watch video of him, I actually just watched the a video of him. Yes, he, he completely transforms himself into the Joker, and it, it's, it's it's frightening. It, it really it's is. seriously frightening. Like I would not want to go up to 
Mark Hamill at a Comic-Con or something and say, hey, could you, you know, record yourself doing the Joker voice on my voicemail on my phone? Because it would just – it would freak me the hell out. I think it freaked people that called you <laughs> out too because that's a, that's a pretty that's a pretty scary voice. I learned something yes. new today that I can pass on to you, uh, Russell. What's that? Uh, the uh, – Harley Quinn. You're familiar with Harley Quinn. Right. Do you know where she came from? Like how she how she started as a like who she is? Well, I know how I know who she was in uh No, do you know how how her in Arkham? No, I Arkham do you know how yeah. her whole like how she was created? No, no, where'd you come She from? was created as an homage to a character actress that played a very similar character in a soap opera. I kid you not. I just I just found this yeah, out. Yeah, because I'm, I'm looking very incredulously at my microphone right it's, now. Um, I'm trying to remember, I'm I'm looking up the 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 ladies uh the the girl's name who played the woman in the soap opera. Her name was Arlene Sorkin, and if you go and look her up on uh if you go and look her up on YouTube, you will find. Like she's there's this one thing and it has all this information. It says Harley Quinn was created by Bruce Tim and Paul Dini based on and created for Dini's friend Arlene Sorkin, who provided the character's voice. Um, she was she played a character called Calliope Jones in Days of Our Lives, and there's this there's this video on YouTube that I'll link on the podcast page of her prancing around this apartment. Now again, this is a soap opera. She's not a super heroine or a super villain. She's just a regular person. But as she prances around this this apartment in Days of Our Lives, it's Harley Quinn. I mean, you you're like mm-hmm. it is it is legitimately Harley Quinn. Like I'm I'm actually we're going to do this we're going to do this live and in person. I'm going to send this link to you and I want you to check it out. And I mean, it's it's Harley Quinn in a soap opera in the, what I can only assume is the seventies or the eighties. That's where Harley Quinn came from. She's based on a, on a, a character actress from a soap opera, if not a character from a soap opera, uh, herself. So yeah, go, go to the podcast page and look and look that up. Uh, it's really, really interesting. I just came across that not too long ago. I'm watching this right now and it's terrifying. Isn't it? Isn't that just like her, like bouncing around like that? Very manic. <laughs> very ditzy. Yeah. Jumping around very she's even got that she's even got that voice, that sort of that sort yeah. of New Yorker, New Jersey kind of accent that Harley Even the way that she's dressed with the, you know, kind of the the leg warmers and mm-hmm. the cuffs and the whole Mm-hmm. How crazy is that? Also in this um in this YouTube video because it's so old, the guy that comes around the corner looks like he's got white face and green hair. Yeah. <laughs> So it kind of looks like that's oh man, that's freaking crazy. Isn't that weird? Anyway, she did the voice of the original voice of Harley Quinn, and that's uh, that's who Harley is uh, is based after. I, I learned that today. Oh, that's freaking nuts. Isn't that weird? You never would you never would have guessed because everyone knows nope. who Harley Quinn is now thanks to uh, Batman the Animated Series. Which agree or disagree? Best cartoon of the 20th century. Best. I I, I have to agree, and it kind of snuck up on me. You know, it kind of snuck up on me. Like, I remember watching it as a kid, but I don't remember, like, like obsessing over it. But now that I look mm-hmm. back, I'm like, you know what? That was really freaking awesome. That was a really, really... Yeah. And you go watch clips now, especially oh, yeah. the the um, the clips. One of my favorite episodes was the uh, a little girl uh, that has a disease where she stays a little girl forever, and she's an actress. And she becomes a super villainess because she's mm-hmm. tired of people uh, seeing her as, like a like, a toddler. Yeah. Um, I mean, that you you watch that now and you're like, wow, that is really, that's really kind of heartbreaking and sad and has a real, it's just, it's just tough. It's good stuff, you don't, though. You don't get that kind of stuff that often. You really don't. And it's real special when it happens. And like I said, it snuck up on me. I didn't realize that it was, it was as good as it was until I went back and saw it again later. And I'm like, you know what? That's, that's really seriously awesome. Yep. They're still, they're all on Netflix, I think. Huh. I'm gonna. I, I may have to. I may have to check that out. Um, anyway, we mentioned Marvel very briefly. Uh, another big, big thing that happened kind of the weekend before last. Uh, it's been about two weeks ago now. Is it been about two weeks ago? Uh, about a week. It, it's been about a week. Um, was the Marvel panel at Comic Con? Sometimes you go to cons and the panels are kind of meh. 
you know, you get in there and you expect something big and there's usually one big kernel, one big nugget of news that everyone kind of wants to see and also kind of anticipates. But the rest of it's a lot of rah, rah, you know, go see our movie. Aren't we great? And you um, have to sit through all and, that to and, get to the one nugget you want. Right. You sit through the stuff to get to the thing you're really interested in. Man, Marvel came out swinging at Comic-Con. I mean, they they yeah. had – I mean, the hits kept coming. They talked about Iron Man 3, which is coming out in May of 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Tony Stark was there, a.k.a. Robert Downey Jr., wearing a, uh, wearing a, a, a power uh, – an Iron Man glove that he was pointing at everybody. Yep. Um, they announced the name and release date for uh, the next Thor movie, which is Thor The Dark World, and the next Captain America movie – which is Captain America, the Winter Soldier, which yep. is really super neat. Yeah. And they uh, they showed footage from the upcoming Ant-Man movie, which I want to talk to you about. Um, and mm. we should have probably uh, thought to have Adam on the podcast this week because um, he it was a discussion with Adam on the podcast several months ago that led – uh, about the Avengers, actually, that led me to read Irredeemable Ant-Man, and that's that's kind of where where that where that movie goes. Uh, Irredeemable Ant-Man was a year-long Ant-Man serial that was actually that was actually canceled. And you read it, and it's really really well done. Ant-Man is an asshole, and uh, he's really hard to. He's he's the the world's most irredeemable superhero. Like nobody likes him, and you shouldn't, because he does terrible things. Um, hmm. But it it makes for a really super interesting story, and uh, the the character that plays him, uh, or the 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 guy that becomes Ant Man, is not Hank Pym. It's a guy named Eric O'Grady. You can't really have Hank Pym uh, since he was a wife beater. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you could still have him. I mean, it's just I don't know. I really think that I really think Marvel probably regrets that. But Eric O'Grady became Ant-Man for me. Just this really great anti-hero that nobody likes sort of thing. Um, so Ant-Man looks really cool. And then they uh, they uh, they released a lot of stuff about Guardians of the Galaxy, which is, a, a, I would call it pretty, pretty not well-known Marvel uh, IP. They really knocked things out of the park at Comic-Con this year. Oh, yeah. Big announcements. I mean, having that full slate of schedules coming up. Uh, it also gives people time to go, who the hell are the Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah. And then they can start, you know, doing stuff about that to kind of really right. – Because it's, it's the last one on that slate. Yeah, yeah. You've got – It's in, in order of release. 20, it's, it's, it's in late 2014. Yeah, in order of release, Iron Man 3 is going to hit May 2013. Thor is going to hit November of 2013. Captain America Winter Soldier is going to hit April of 2014, and then Guardians of the Galaxy is going to hit August 2014. So that's mm-hmm. that's a pretty big slate, and it puts the one that people are, are most going to go, huh, about at the very end of it, which I thought was interesting. Right, it allows you, and I'm going to say this, and people can disagree with me, and I might be wrong, but it's going to allow people to become fans of Guardians of the Galaxy and be really excited for Guardians of the Galaxy when it comes out. Which is really interesting that Marvel can is, is kind of trying that, and it will probably in my in in my thought will probably succeed. They're taking an IP that people don't know a whole lot about, and they're essentially going, "Oh, this is coming out." Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Hey, everyone, if you want to be cool in 2014, you need to go become retroactively become lifelong fans of Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, and uh, and check the and, and go check all this out. So uh, it's also going to be according to some stuff I found online. It's also going to be a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Hmm. hmm. So could we see in 2017 Avengers slash Guardians of the Galaxy? Uh, oh my god. Yeah. That'd be like that'd be like a superhero version of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, because all the Guardians of the Galaxy are are a C. Uh huh. You with? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we got it. So anyway, let's uh, we we've got to stop talking about movies, or we're going to be here all day. Uh, last week we had a very special guest on the podcast, and uh, the designer of Thirteenth Age, Jonathan Tweet. Russell mentioned on the podcast that uh, he was running a Thirteenth Age game, or running, or getting ready to run, or you had already started yeah, running. running it. Now, yeah, sort of. You've done some things now that are that are different. In your 13th Age game that, that, that you have, have had working on. Is that correct? 
Yeah, uh, just a little bit. Something that was interesting about, you know, that I found interesting about 13th Age as a player was that they have these uh, what are called icons. They're almost like demigods. They're huge, overarching, very important figures to the game world. Mm -hmm. You know, they would be your, in Forgotten Realms, your Zass Tams. They would be your uh, Lords of Dust in Eberron. You know, they are they are the big the big bads, the big goods. Mm -hmm. They're the larger than life figures. They're not exactly gods, deities, but they yeah. are. You know, there. They're and they essentially have they're mortal gods. They're people that have power and influence over the world, and whose opinion of you sways other people's opinions of you. If you were doing like Eberron, it would not only be the Lords of the Dust. It would not only be Lords of Dust. But, you know, probably Emerald Claw and Caius and uh, the King of Brayland and, you know, all this. It'd be right. all those huge figures. Yeah, big time movers and shakers. Right. And as players, you can actually invoke them in the narrative. Uh, I mentioned specifically that I've got a player who, you know, used, his thing is that he used to be a captive of the Archmage. So he's got a negative relationship with the Archmage. And every so often, you know, something's going on that that's a little unexplainable, and he tries to invoke his relationship because he's paranoid that way and says, well, the Archmage obviously has something to do with it. And if he rolls successfully, then he gets to say, you know, this is what's going on and this is why the Dark Mage, the Archmage is involved with what's going on. And if he rolls a five, then whatever he's wondering does come does happen, but it happens in such a way that is not what they expected at all or is really bad. It basically lets me kind of go a little nuts mm -hmm. with their idea, which is always fun. But it really from from a traditional RPG perspective, it really screws with the narrative <laughs> because, you know, I had this thing planned out where, OK, they're going to go in this hole and they're going to find these pods that have people inside of them. And that's going to lead them to this uh, gibbering mouther at the end, which is basically a big puddle of mouths. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's going to lead into, the, you know, the big bad. It's going to kind of hint and tease at what's what's happening. And every step of the way, almost, he was like, well, every time that he could, he was like, oh, the Archmage has something to do with this. Oh, the Archmage has something to do with this. And I thought, well, crap. Now I need to think about what happens if he rolls a five or a six. And it really showed me the rails that I was putting my players on. And, you know, I really clearly saw if he succeeds at these roles or even gets a five on these roles, it's going to screw with mm -hmm. your plans for A, B, C, and D. So you need to be prepared to, you know, work with that. Or alternatively, you need to not have those plans in place. Really let the story be cooperative. Well, let me be know? devil's advocate so, for a moment, if I, no, if I could, right while ahead. we're talking about this. Now, right I'm on record with my enthusiasm uh, uh, for 13th Age. I'm, I'm stoked about it. I think it's going to be cool. Here's my question, and, I, and I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit. I kind of also worry about this and have since, I, since, I, since we've started talking about it. You say that that really showed you what rails that you, you were putting your campaign on. How is it that, I mean, because if you're, say, and I'm not saying your player's doing this, but say you had a player who just really, 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 really wanted to make this reality. He really wanted it. And the reason behind that is more times than not a player who really wants to be in the spotlight who really wants the whole thing to be about him and everything, you know, he does everything you do. He's going to roll to see if the archmage has anything to do with it. This chair wasn't here before. Uh, it's, it was moved across the room. Archmage has something to do with it. I rolled a six. And now you have to explain why the archmage telekinetically moved a chair from one end of the room to the other. I mean, is it almost like you're trading one set of rails that you've come up with as the DM for another set of rails that a player has come up with primarily to put himself in the spotlight. Like what is the, what's the risk of that happening? Cause as a DM, I play very, very fast and loose. I mm -hmm. like to do, th I like things to change and, and things, but at the same time, I like to have an overall thread. And if the back, and, and if I'm setting something up to be a big reveal for a big bad guy, that I have all this other stuff put together and someone rolls a lucky six and decides, no, the, the grand dragon is the, the cause behind all this, you know, mm -hmm. 
how does that, how does that, I mean, I, I understand the, I understand the positives by saying you shouldn't have your campaign on a rail, but at the same time, you're as a DM supposed to be putting together a narrative. I mean, I could see yeah. you saying, well, I'm not going to put together a narrative. I'm not going to put together a storyline. Well, that can, that can actually make for a pretty, for a pretty boring campaign if, if nothing happens, you know what I mean? See, here's here's what I decided to do with this, and that, and this may help kind of line things out. First off, there are limits built into the game, kind of some limits as far as how often you can do this. You can only invoke once a scene, and a scene is up to the DM. You know, if it's mm -hmm. this entire encounter, you know, you finally move on to another room, then you could potentially invoke again. And yeah, if the guy invokes again, then maybe you need to, as a DM, kind of sit down and talk with your players about what the invoking, you know, thing is for, what the icons are for, and discuss how the players want to use that in the game or, you know, set some reasonable limits with your players. This is supposed to be, as Tweet mentioned, you know, this was not meant to be a game for everyone. This was meant to be a game, you know, for players like me and Rob Heinsu, the other the co-designer. You know, we enjoy playing this kind of a game, and we wanted to make the kind of game that, you know, we wanted to like and hopefully other people wanted to like. So for for Games that do these kinds of open story style games or who have these kind of freedoms in them, you're less likely to find some of those spotlight players. Mm -hmm. Or if you are, you probably okay. already have you know, some. You know, you know I, can, I can buy that. As, as Tweet, and, and he went on record with this, and it kind of surprised me because I'm, I'm very used to working with people, you know, in my job with people who, who want to say things to sell a product. And they're gonna say they're they they definitely they want to appeal to the most people, and they want to make sure they don't offend anybody or turn anybody off. And he said, you know, this is not a game that everybody is going to. You know, we wanted to make a game that was that we and players like us wanted to play. So the fact that you know you can say, well, we're coming from this, and you know, and there's something to be said for designing a game for good players. Mm -hmm. And while while I'm I'm certain that Jonathan Twee wouldn't say that, that's kind of the point here is they've designed a game for good players. If you're a good player and you have good players around you that you can trust to help you out with this game and you can trust to make it as interesting for everybody as humanly possible, then Thirteenth Age is the game for you. Yeah, you know that makes that makes a lot of sense. And then you know. There's also the five mechanic. Like I said, if you roll a five, then the DM gets to mm -hmm. take whatever you were saying and completely go nuts with it. And depending on what kind of DM you have, mm -hmm. you might get hit so damn hard with something that you decide, you know what, I'm not going to pick up that dice just as easily. Yeah. And you know, and I've I've said this from the from sort of the beginning, but it really depends on having a really great DM to run a game of this of this type. Because there's a lot of there's a lot of moving you got to do, and I've played under some DMs who I wouldn't really want to, want to do moving because yeah. it's really hard to come up with a story sort of on the fly and and as you're moving you know as you're moving along. Huh. So your uh, so how did your game end up? Like what new did he ever roll a five or a six and you had to invoke the Archmage or did you get lucky? Honestly, no. He hasn't rolled it yet, and he's getting kind of a little bit frustrated. And I'm, I'm every time he rolls it, I was like, I've got plans. I'm just telling you, I've got plans. So why does he continually roll it? Just, like, what's his... That's, that's kind of, you know, that's partly who his character is. His character is very paranoid um, because he used to be enslaved by right, the Archmage. Right, right. And, and, you know, he kind of wants to do it also as an example for – because we have brand new players in the So group. he wants to kind of – He wants to show okay. them this is what happens right. and this is how you do yeah. it. Huh. Because it can it can be very easy if you're – especially, you know, a D&D &D player used to other, other editions and things. It can be easy to get in that grind of yeah. I'm going to play and you, you wind up doing some of the same, you know, habits of other games you've played and you forget about some of the new stuff. Right, right. Like there, there are times that have gone by when someone's like, well, you know, we couldn't vote and everyone goes, Oh yeah, that's right. We have these things yeah, that we could yeah. do if we wanted to, you know, and, and that makes a lot of sense. My, you see my, if I wanted to have a character that was paranoid 
and I were playing a, an edition uh, of a tabletop game that I'm familiar with, my first thing would be to decide: okay, is he paranoid because is he paranoid because he's paranoid, or is he paranoid because there's somebody watching him? And that would be something that I would want to work out with the DM. I personally would be uncomfortable saying, "Well, I'm a paranoid character. I'm going to roll this over," because eventually you're going to hit a five or a six. Yeah, and eventually it's going to kind of throw, a, I, I think, a needless monkey wrench into, into the game. Well, it's forced me to somewhat adapt what I've been planning. But this is also a care. I mean, this personally is a player that I don't have a problem with mm-hmm. doing this mm-hmm. because he's he's a DM. He DMs the other thirteenth age game, mm-hmm. and I have just as much of a habit on occasionally um, attempting to hog the spotlight just a little bit. <laughs> That's not what he's doing here, but. Um, you know, that's he, – he's a player that I trust, you know, will come up with something that I can then work with. We can riff off each other and not have a problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it may not take – it may not take my campaign in the exact direction that I had originally planned on, but it's not a bad direction to, you know, yeah, plan on because I gave him some ideas. Going somewhere. Yeah, and I gave him some ideas overall what I wanted to do with the campaign. So he might, you know, want, find ways to weave his own backstory into it. Instead of the DM coming up with ways to weave their backstory mm-hmm. into it, which is also pretty good. Um, but beyond that, the other things that I, I figured out that I would do is I would, you know, also, if you give them opportunities to invoke, then they use it then and they know, okay, I don't necessarily have to roll this all the damn time. But, the, you know, they get the opportunity to use it right. and then they use it right. and then they move on to their other abilities. So, for instance... I'm I'm going to start planning more of a destination style game. I have, you know, I know where the players are currently. I know where they need to get to next, but how they get there is entirely up to them. And that could mean using their backgrounds to just travel there without any trouble, figuring out how to get there um through invoking, figuring out how to get there using their one unique things. You know, that's one thing that I'm doing differently is I'm just making these destinations. You know, this has to happen then this has to happen, but I don't have to figure out the path that takes them to the next point. That's what they're up to, and that's an op- that's a uh, way for them to use their one unique thing. Hmm. A specific example that was mentioned in the um, in the Thirteenth Age uh, playtest document was, let's say there's uh, these dragon monks in the city, and you're trying to find them, and the player decides to invoke, and they roll a six. And they say, well, there's a library here, and the monks were rumored to be searching for something in this library. So we're going to go to the library on the hopes of finding what they were searching for, and maybe, just maybe, we bump into them or one of their agents at the same time. Mm -hmm. And the DM says, okay, you go to the library, and in in the background he's kind of planning out a a quick do-it-yourself encounter, and then he gets there, and boom, there are dragon monks, and they fight, and there's a battle in the library, and it goes from there. So that's obviously the ideal situation. Um, but really, I mean, if you're a DM and you're interested in using this mechanic, even in your own game, if you don't plan on running a straight-up 13th Age game, if you want to take this and kind of co-opt it over, mm-hmm. knowing your players, knowing what they want to do, and then discussing with them to reach an accord on what's the best way to do this is, in my mind, always the best option. More communication between DMs and players will always lead to better games, and this is uh, one case where it's it's very much something you want to do. If you see a player that you know wants to invoke all the time, talk to them about you know what they want to see happen, and then say yes. Find a way to yeah, you know, let help them do them, that. Help them get what they want. They may not necessarily do exactly what they want, but find a way to incorporate you know find a way to incorporate that into it. I, I see you're invoking our Archmage all the time. Do you feel that your backstory is not playing a big enough part in this? Do you feel like you know there should be more to do with the Archmage in this case? And then maybe, yeah, I mean, there's, there are times when we've invoked, but the things that we've said we wanted to happen were so good that the DM went ahead and let it happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, one example was my character in the 13th Age game that Neil was running is kind of this roguish bard, and he was at a, backstory, he was at a, a back alley party where there was a poker game going on, and I rolled a five to get there. So the bad thing that happened was he went way in over his head, and this lone shark that he already owed a debt to the way that Han Solo owed a debt to Jabba the Hutt showed up. And then uh, while in the midst of this that was going on, 
I said, you know, it would be really nice and advantageous because we were in a really tight spot if, for instance, uh, some random third party that's where, that we're antagonized with were to show up out of nowhere and suddenly crash this party. And I invoked, and it didn't roll that well, but the rest of the party was so enthused by it and the DM liked it so much, he just let it happen anyway. So even if you don't roll those fives and sixes, sometimes it can lead to some really good story moments. Hmm. Yeah, And it all goes back to collaborative, cooperative storytelling, which is why I like D&D in the first place. Right, right. And this just puts even more of an emphasis on right. it. Right, which in and of itself is dependent on having good players. And you know what? I've yeah. been blessed in my D&D career to have some really excellent players and have groups that are made entirely of excellent players and have had excellent DMs. So, I mean, it's not like we're, we're looking for lightning to strike. So yeah. that, I, I, think, I, I think, works out really well. And I think... I mean, invoking is going to be one of those things that you see kind of uh, swiped from 13th Age and ported over or hacked into a couple of different games. Uh-huh. Like I could see – I would love to run a regular Eberron-style game either using the 13th Age rules or using like 4th edition rules but with the invoking mechanic uh-huh. to it. Yeah. So I think you're going to see invoking pulled over. I think you're going to see uh, the Escalation die pulled over, which every round of combat, it goes up by one. Uh-huh. And then you add that to your attack right, bonus right. players. So you're more likely to hit as combat goes on, which means combat kind of reaches a finite conclusion. Instead of just, you know, oh, this guy's got to go down. And I keep rolling twos. And why right. would <laughs> Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think we'll, we'll see. We'll definitely see the impact um, of the game as a whole on the industry as a whole whenever it comes out, which I believe is in November, right? totally yeah. across the board so that'll be uh that'll be good that'll be really interesting to see uh anyway as always our music is op prop featuring asset check them out on uhort.no you can shoot us an email at girpodcast at gmail.com you can also connect with us on twitter we are at girpodcast for russell jones i'm jeremy pappas thanks for listening i'm batman <laughs>